You know, one of the most beautiful things I remember seeing is, I think when our granddaughter was three, we came here and, you know, she looked so tiny at the bottom of the steps. And she didn't even look up at how many steps there were. She just took each step and walked each step. So it wasn't a challenge, you know. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, this little girl is not even thinking about how many steps there are or how long it takes to get up there. That's right. It was beautiful. I think we can start. Okay. Oh, that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, welcome, welcome, Wanda. Welcome. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, and, and so, Pastor Earl Boone and Pastor Wanda Boone. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us for Walk Together Thank today. Thank you, it's beautiful out here. It is beautiful. This is, uh, it's wonderful. And I, I just love being here where the sun is just hitting us right directly. It just feels so nice warm. And warm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we are at uh, Duke Gardens mm -hmm. on the west side of uh, the Duke campus and just by this beautiful fountain. It's been a lovely thing. You, you were telling me about your your uh, grandchild who mm -hmm. was climbing the stairs, the, the steps? Yeah, she was about three years old and she didn't look to see how many steps there were and I was worried thinking, can she really walk up all those steps? And she didn't even think about it. She just took the steps on and made it to the top. And, you know, so in that little flicker of time, it made me think about resilience and, you know, she just, went up the steps and it didn't matter. She didn't think about obstacles. There weren't any in her mind and she just mounted the steps and went up. It is amazing. It's 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 like the journey, right? Just uh, mm -hmm. you know, knowing you know that you take you take steps to, towards the path that you're you're going to be on. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you know, not looking at obstacles. I I, I got to tell you this is a beautiful place to be walking and to just be reflecting. I mean, I've I've come here quite a bit. Um, or the seasons, you know, the, when mm -hmm. seasons where there's roses all over here. So yeah. right now we don't have any roses surrounding <laughs> us, but right here near this fountain, I just remember like looking at them and just knowing like, you know, they're, they, they, they're not always here, you know, mm -hmm. there are moments when they, they are and moments when they're not, but to come here every single time and to look at the changes mm -hmm. and to kind of sit with the change and sit with the seasons, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and just knowing that in, at whatever season you come in, like it's, it's the right time, you know, it's right. the right time to appreciate different things yeah and then to realize that you don't have to see the bursts of color yeah in order for it to be thrilling I mean you know feeling the breeze and seeing the green and watching all the people that are out here enjoying the day is is beautiful <laughs> just love like when, when children are walking and they just kind of just take a look you know they're just mm -hmm. looking around it's so sweet I've been really um you know over the years that I've seen you in so many different spaces you know I'm I'm, I'm just marveled at, I just marvel at like many things that you do mm -hmm. and just realized today that you were a pastor I had no idea <laughs> I had no idea so you know that's 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 amazing because I've seen you at so many events I've seen you in the in, in the um, county meetings you know yeah. at the county commissioners meeting at the in like uh, PTA engaged mm -hmm. family summit. Um, mm -hmm. You have try. Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to hear all about it. So this is like this is my this is my treat in a way because you know we're here surrounded by Kevin. You know, 
uh, Pastor Earl. Um, but this is, I am just loving um, getting to hear from you about the many different things. And, and speaking of journeys, like how, how did all this come about? Yeah, so um, I think, well, I don't think, I know that my spirituality is really at the foundation of everything that I do. It's what I live, what I love, and not what I talk about so much. <laughs> um, because living a spiritual life is part of your life. And so for me, there's no separation. So even though I do uh, talk in, present in, <laughs> and live in all these other spaces, my desire is that whichever space I'm in, it's out of love and out of that spirituality. So um, my brother tells the story that when I was four years old, uh, he wanted to go outside and play. <laughs> he said that I said, no, I want to stay inside and read my Jesus book, <laughs> which is what I call the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I think that came from my grandmother. I don't even know. <laughs> Um, and uh, so, you know, I've been in ministry since 1981. Oh, wow. Uh, so we've been in ministry a long time. I am, uh, <laughs> I, I just just think about the um, my beginnings here in Durham and just the amount of um, wisdom and also um, just opening of doors that, that I experienced through women in ministry. Mm -mm. You know, um, I don't know that I've shared the story with you, but when I, so in 1998, I came here, um, but I didn't settle here until 1999, but my, my uh, parents started a church in 98, oh. and when they first came here, you know, it was uh, really challenging to find a, a, a space, and I just remember that in 99, as I was, um, you know, picking up a classmate to take them to our church, which in that moment was inside of a, uh, an apartment. You mm -hmm. know, um, we got lost, and it was by Andrew Avenue. Mm -hmm. So Andrew in the middle of the night, and we're like, "Where is this house?" <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was so uh, challenging. It was like uh, we we didn't know the area that well, right. but we lived off of North High Park, so mm -hmm. we, we knew mm -hmm. North High Park, and we knew Morning Glory. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was my neighborhood. But it was, you know, Andrew was so like everything was just new, and mm -hmm. um, you know, we ended up. I don't know how we ended up, but we ended up in on Main Street. Oh. East Main Street mm -hmm. and as uh, you know we were turning around we see this lady closing down you know closing down the, her church door and we're like you know I came up to her and I said you know uh, hi can you help us and and she looks at us and she's like yeah yeah well you know tell me tell me what you need and we just told her like you know we were looking for a house it's off of mm -hmm. Andrew Avenue mm -hmm. and she's like well tell me more about you like who, who are you and what is this for and we're like well mm -hmm. we're, you know we have a Spanish ministry mm -hmm. well the lady's name is Dr. Gail Edwards mm -hmm. and um, her ministry was um, House of Refuge oh uh -huh. yes I've heard of that yeah and, and mm -hmm. so House of Refuge on 947 East Main Street oh, that's okay. that's a uh, so she helped us and you know drove us around and we went to um to my classmate's house and everything went well and she's like I want to come visit you mm. she's like I want to come and sit in your church service it doesn't matter where you are where wow. two or three are gathered you know yeah, yeah. Uh, so we invited her and she came and she said you know I um 
I feel that the Lord is leading me to open my church to you all. Mm. And so she did. She opened her oh. church doors. And so at 947 East Main Street, that's where the ministry uh, settled. And, and it was a sanctuary for my family because it was like our only space. And, and you know, the church grew. You know, the, the first uh, members of the church were uh, young guys, construction workers who didn't mm-hmm. have a, a family here. Mm-hmm. My mom would cook for them. You know, yeah, it was that, yeah. that, you know, eating together and, you know, and then fellowshipping together in the church. And, you know, I, I was also in school and I was evangelizing my classmates. And so cl- <laughs> classmates would come to our, <laughs> our church. Mm-hmm. But it was beautiful because it's like, you know, there, there was a morning service, which is the black church. And then there was a Latino church, you know, <laughs> just a few hours later. Yeah. And uh, in the same space, like, you know, just worshiping and mm-hmm. all the beautiful things that were happening. That's a lovely story in a way. It makes me kind of sad because there's such division among folks who are in ministry and in congregations. So it's a beautiful thing that the service and church were shared, but then the idea of worshiping together is something that is not really um, happening in Durham and probably not in many churches um, around the United States. So we moved to Durham in 1971 um, from Teaneck, New Jersey and Newark, New Jersey. And so, and so, um, you know, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish town, um, never knew any prejudice. Uh, uh, we were welcomed by everybody. I mean, we were one of the first black families there. And Teaneck, is actually the first um, city to vote against um, segregated schools in the United States. So that's oh. the kind of place it was. So he eloped me to Durham. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been grateful ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and so our first experience in church was um, we met a young couple and they invited us to their church. And the pastor of that church said that if they ever brought us back, that they would kick them out of the church and both parents out of the church because they didn't want black people in the church. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, is right. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've attempted to bridge divides. Mm-hmm. Um, in the faith community, we started going to a um, prayer, and there was a and and I think we were at that time the only black couple there at that particular time, and um, and so the rest were white male ministers, and so they wanted to do some more about um, integrating their churches. And so I was praying about it, and I felt like I needed to say something at the next prayer meeting. (laughs) So what I said was, if you were in your home with your friends, you know, that you socialize with, and we walked in, what what would the reaction be? So it's not so much about integrating the church. Mm -hmm. You know, what about personal lives? Right. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, that still goes on. But in our coalition, which I don't mean to be jumping to that, but that was the idea 
um, behind the coalition that we have together for resilient youth. And so we have it's extremely diverse, social, socially and economically. Um, so it's it's just a beautiful thing, you know, to see that people who have different opinions and ideas can come together and and work together in that space. So I've seen, yeah, it's it's so important to have, you know, the the integration so it's, it's not enough to desegregate which is you know what we see like in a lot of policies it's like oh we're desegregated and it's yeah. like no integration is what we need to uh, ensure so mm -hmm. um and it's 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 not uh immediate that once you desegregate that you have that yeah. you know? so you have to strive for it and mm -hmm. part of that is like who are you fellowshipping with right. um what i did appreciate about dr uh, gail edwards was that in in those years um so th these were the 90s um late 90s and um there were you know like crusades or you know like uh you know like uh these d these different things that were happening in the city mm -hmm. so it was like you know on holloway street right mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so holloway being what it is and the demographics being what it was you know it's like there were tarps and there were like evangelists that were coming by and yeah, so yeah. lots mm -hmm. of like you know different churches coming together and mm -hmm. and, 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 mm -hmm. and you know just over, over with one um same uh mission mm -hmm. in, in that way mm -hmm. so when you when for me all this background just kind of um just always brings to light like how important it is for us to know why we do the things that we mm -hmm. do because it, you know we may have different experiences and backgrounds mm -hmm. but when there's something that we we know we, we want and you realize like you know your neighbor wants the same thing we mm -hmm. all want the same thing that's that's the beginning of the, the, the organizing principle around which people fight together mm -hmm. you know we want um, to keep our kids away from school to prison pipelines yeah you know we want yeah. our kids to be successful and mm -hmm. that that has been you know, looking around and looking at the work and the path, you know, that um, I've been on and kind of realizing that when you look to the side, you're not the only one on that path. There's right. so many people yeah. who've been on that path. Yeah. And yeah. that path has also been shaped by the people who walk before you. Absolutely. So it's like just the acknowledgement and, uh, and also the, you know, the um, uh, the gratitude for mm -hmm. as many people as have made that that um, that that road easier for you mm -hmm. when, when you start embarking on that and then you also add to it because the yeah. more people that start you know walking towards that mm -hmm. towards liberation mm -hmm. you know it, mm -hmm. it just uh does something for 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 all of us that that, that is change that yeah. is catalyzing the change that we that's need that's true and then uh understanding the sharing or giving away of power mm. is so important you know so we have to think of ourselves as not so significant that our voice is the only voice that can mm -hmm. be heard. And, you know, stepping back and understanding that other people's opinions, especially those that differ, mm -hmm. are opinions that we can learn from and celebrate. And those that need to change, <laughs> we can change those opinions through love and understanding and value and seeing the person and um, helping them understand us. I love that seeing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when we talk about the visibility, you know, we think about marginalized communities or, or so labeled marginalized communities. And one of the common things is like, you know, just not being seen, mm -hmm. not being heard and not being seen. Right. Our youth are, are, are seeing that as well. I, I, I wanted to hear a little more about, um, you know, uh, try and, yeah. and you know, some of those stories. And I just, I just, I, I wish everybody could just see your, your, your face because I, I, there's a lot of heart in what you do with that. And there really is. Um, and so why try, <laughs> you know, why try? Um, I worked for 20 years in corporate America. I was the 
uh, first and only African-American, male or female, to work as senior executive, what, executive director <laughs> of quality assurance and regulatory affairs for the whole company, nationally, well, locally, internationally, and nationally. Um, and I was hated every single day of those 20 years. Um, and so the kinds of tests that that particular company performed in one aspect of the company <laughs> uh, helped one to see what was happening with substance use. That's the best way I can put it. Um, and so I said to you know, the company, I said, well, why don't we do something about prevention? because there are too many young people or people that are trying to enter the job market who can't do so because they're failing drug tests. And of course, you know, well, that's our bottom line. Are you kidding me? So that didn't go over too well. But anybody that knows me, if I hear no, then I don't hear no. <laughs> so I started doing some prevention stuff on my own. Now that's an understatement. Because um, a no is an encouragement to continue. <laughs> I know it's like vitamins for her. You know? <laughs> she hears the no and she gets pumped up mm -hmm. and she gets strength and she um, attempts to make that no a yes and to make the situation better any way that she can. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and so I started thinking about the young people that apparently, which I learned later on, were addicted to drugs. Um, there was a gang report done in 2007, I think, um, where it was stated that young people were getting drugs at school, you know, and, and people glossed over that and started um, designing strategies and interventions that had to do with everything but substance use or addiction. So... You know, I went to uh, city, county, and I said, look, you know, we need to really pay attention to what's going on with youth. Um, and then that's when I discovered these young people are like me, like I was when I was a teenager. Um, and I talked about the flowery side of Teaneck, New Jersey, which outside of my home it was. But that's when I started looking at adverse childhood experiences and trauma that I had experienced. And because I had experienced them, I started drinking alcohol when I was 15. Um, I attempted suicide twice. And even though I now realize the specific reasons why, um, I didn't know. And young people don't know. They're doing things to self-medicate just like I was, they're doing things to just feel better. And the most important thing about that in terms of resilience is that they have at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. And I decided that I was going to be that one. And then I decided him <laughs> to be that too. Quite often, Wanda will say to me, Earl, and at that point I know something tremendous or stupendous is about to, about to happen. <laughs> to uh, you. To me. 
And I know it's going to involve uh, me. It's going to involve a lot of effort. But on the um, end, it's going to be beneficial for folks. And not just for uh, me or her, but for uh, you know anyone we can come into contact with. Um, so we've, we've tried over the years to uh, be a positive force for young people, wherever they are, and however we can be. Mm-hmm. So while we were raising our three children, we had not only therapeutic foster children, but if somebody didn't have some place to live, then they came and lived with us. Um, and so that became the norm for our own children, as well as for us. Um, and, but we couldn't take everybody in, <laughs> sadly. So she tried. <laughs> she did build a bigger barn, a bigger house. Bunk beds yeah, all over the place. So then trying to think about strategies that would lead young people to be resilient. And resilient doesn't mean grit, try harder, do try harder, try harder, not do harder, all of that. It's more like relaxing in love understanding that you have a person or persons that you can identify that um, care about you love you and who are interested in who you are the amazing thing to me is that when I talk about a trauma adverse childhood experiences to teenagers and it doesn't make any difference where they are so um, if I'm talking to teenagers who are um, involved in the juvenile justice system, criminal justice system, the, the understanding that these 10 things, if they happen to you before your 18th birthday, then they can result in this. Every single time, there's a silence that drops over the room. And you know when you get teenagers together, they're usually, you know, laughing, Chatty, joking, yeah. and silence over the room. And then I say, um, it's not what you did, it's what happens to you. It's, it's, you can almost feel them open up to receive a second chance. And so that's why I don't start with substance use, don't do drugs, you know, and all of that. It's more, you know, let's talk about how to make you better, feel better, and um, become the person that you can be. Our, our, our children are definitely struggling with many things. I mean, I, um, I can tell you, like, just in part, part of my journey and understanding, like, you know, that um, there's so many things with ACEs that we're, we're receiving. Having an immigrant experience uh, yeah. is, is already very traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also living in, in, in places where there's community violence, you know? What? Yes. Um, I was talking to a classmate of my child who was mentioning that he's seen people uh, die, like right. get killed in front of him. That's right. And, you know, and just started telling me, like, yeah, I, I, you know, he saw, and it's not one case. He saw, right. and it's like all of that, you know, he, he, as he's telling me about it, it's, it's, it's uh, I can see the level at which it's still impacting him. Mm-hmm. The fact that he has witnessed, yeah. you know, uh, from shootings to, you know, somebody getting run over, you know, mm. just many different things, you know, and, and so as we, take assessment and we realize that you know we do have um you know many many situations that are affecting our 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 children Mm -hmm. it is a wonder for me that school systems don't put trauma at the for like you know at the forefront of a lot of the 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 initiatives it seems like we are 
working backwards like in, in your approach and how you're saying that we want things to be we want everything to be uh, um, better for kids and we want to have programs we want to have this but we're not building the relationships with them yeah and, and that's really um, so important because one of the things that we've done I guess over the past three years so we've been talking about aces for about seven years so before the big wave, you know, everybody's talking about ACEs. <laughs> um, but starting to talk with administration in schools about ACEs. Every teacher in some of the schools have been exposed to this training on ACEs and resilience. And there are teachers who cry, um, hurt people hurt people. So they realize that they are teaching out of their hurt and out of their trauma. And then we talk about resilience, how you can, you know, um, heal yourself from trauma by um, living intentionally, first of all. Um, and if you need counseling, then go to counseling. But so when the next time Johnny throws the chair across the room for no reason and interrupts your control that you're supposed to have in the classroom, you're not going to look at how it impacts you first. You're going to look at well, what happened to Johnny, right. you know, in the first place. So I think that every single school needs to have that conversation, not that scientific presentation, but that conversation where someone who has experience and compassion can talk about it in a way that impacts people, not like a training session, you know, where you get... Well, I, I mean, papers are fine, <laughs> so you do have handouts and things, but it's more, you know, again, I see you. So it's not only I see you, the child, mm -hmm. I see you, the adult, who's struggling and therefore, you know, can't deal with this situation. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been years, and I know you've been at this for years. I, I, I have been, um, you know, super grateful to, you know, have been in, in calls where, you know, you've been uh, working with, the Division of Community Health and, mm -hmm, you know, Fred Johnson mm -hmm. and Maria um, Badia and, and so many folks. Um, you know, one of those uh, things is, is it, for me, it, it was the information. It was like just getting the movie, getting the movie out, you know. Yes. Um, but then once you show the movie and then what do you do once you once you expose people? So that's been like, I know that that's a lot of like the work that I that I appreciate about you because it's like there's, you know, a program that you have for youth. So it's, it's not just telling everybody what the issue is but it's also like ensuring that we have resources right, um, that we right. have programs that we have um uh m more of intentionality in our approach mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's that's one of those things that we've talked about with um you know Giovanna mm -hmm, um yeah, you know yeah. who, who who also is is we're about dismantling the school to prison pipeline right um right. and there's so many ways that that shows up in our district there's mm -hmm. so many different forms um, one of those things is like the kids that are that are you know having um, issues with regulation, and we're we're not looking at what happened to them, but we're looking at the fact that they're currently undergoing what they're undergoing. There's very very little empathy, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so what happens is ju just a referral, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the referral to get them um, to alternative schools or, or or out of school suspension, you know, all yeah. those yeah, mm -hmm. all those things. Yeah. Um, so. And then, you know, so the big word now is trauma-informed. But we have to go beyond trauma-informed <laughs> to trauma-action. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and 
you know, and then that also means giving teachers space and time to um, relax from the difficult situations that occur in teaching. Um, Earl recently, supposed, and he's supposed to be retired, uh, went back to work at an elementary school. So he's oh. working full time. Wow. And, the, and I believe that the reason that he's there is because he's such a calming force. Um, but he needs time during the day in order to, you know, relax, de-stress himself. I think that's something that is really needed. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's 10 minutes a day, find that time. Mm -hmm. What do you think? The day is chock full of challenges. And it's a challenge to always be considerate of the students. So <clears throat> the more we can relax during the day, the more we can act in a humane manner toward the students. So yes, without a doubt, uh, we do need relaxation. We do need a chance to catch our breath. And we do need an opportunity to uh, kind of de-stress ourselves during the day so that we are not reacting to the students in, uh, out of our um, stress or out of our frustration. So yes, definitely mm -hmm. we need, teachers need a, an opportunity to relax. And teachers normally do not get that. Mm -hmm. once, once the bell rings, you know, then it's all hands on deck and um, relaxation will have to come after work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how, how long, do you, so I know that lunchtime is, is one of those things that teachers don't get adequate lunchtime. Some of them are snacking on, um, you know, just, just uh, yeah, out of boxes, you know, um, and it, it's it's very uh, telling, you know, that that's not that's not going to be helpful, mm -hmm. you know, w when it comes to dealing with kids and the needs of, of the children. And, and um, I just remember having um, a moment with a teacher. We were doing some advocacy, social work, and she had a breakdown. Yeah. And in that moment, and it was just like she's not well, and she was um, just explaining that her her food habits had been just thrown off because she doesn't get enough time and because she happens is to be bilingual mm -hmm. um they kind of mm -hmm. she gets pulled in so many different directions so even yeah. during the time that she's supposed to be re-energizing and looking out for herself she's had to you know jump in and help out mm -hmm. with things and so all these um i just remember sitting there and, and, and watching her you know kind of explain a little bit or talk talk a little bit about what what led to this breakdown that we saw visibly yeah. and publicly and um and just thinking that's not wellness. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what does wellness look like for mm -hmm. a district? And, and how, to, how to, what, what, what are the small ways? I mean, we, we know that the overarching theme of wellness mm -hmm. is pretty expansive. But mm -hmm. for teachers and for families, you know, it's like, um, you know, how does everybody define wellness? Mm -hmm. you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's one of my uh, questions and something that I want to hear from, from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, one thing that happens in our school is uh, duty-free lunch where the uh, instructional assistants will relieve teachers um, when their students go to lunch and oversee them there. Uh, unfortunately, quite often we are called away to do other things, mm. and the teacher may have been expecting uh, an opportunity to relax for a few minutes, or maybe uh, we're looking forward to making a couple of phone calls that they needed to make or whatever they needed to do. So um, do the free lunch is very important 
and it is a means of uh, getting a couple of minutes of relaxation for the teachers. Uh, the, the big thing is to make sure that that happens on a daily basis, which doesn't always occur. Mm -hmm. And then think about what happens with a teacher when they go home. Mm -hmm. If they have a family, then, you know, many times they're going to take their frustrations out on their family members, on their own children, because of the frustrations that they've had. Imagine not having a family, being alone, and going home and having those thoughts in a reel, you know, going through your mind about all the stress that happened during the day. So, you know, somehow, some way, we have to give teachers um, permission to um, form this habit of living intentionally when it comes to their own self-care because that goes out the window. I mean, that's traumatic, living under that stress every single, every single, every single day. And so part of the responsibility of the school system is to help define, or no, no, allow the opportunity for that to happen. Everybody defines that in their own way. So, you know, taking a walk, I, I, whatever it can be. You know, I look out here, and this is where uh, our children are now 42, 40, and 33. And when the two older ones were younger, this is where I came. I spread a blanket, just like I see out here uh, with so many people. And we just sit. You know, I mean, how many people do that? You know, we're talking about nature and walking. He's a walker. I'm an observer <laughs> of the beauty of outdoors. Yeah. But still, I mean, just thinking about that time. But how many people do that? And the reason that they don't do it is because their day is filled up, maybe not even with activity, but with the frustration and the real that goes on in their head about what's wrong. That's really sad. <laughs> that's, that's really true. I, I was thinking about... Um, you know the many things we do to tie up our day with so many efforts and so for people that are socially justice oriented it, it becomes a pitfall when yeah. you're always constantly fighting constantly advocating constantly showing up constantly showing up and um and i think that's something that that, that we struggle with especially if we come from um, histories of trauma mm -hmm. and histories of struggle mm -hmm. it almost feels like you know, things are going to collapse because you got to give it your all. But yeah, that's also yeah. a trauma response. That's right. It and is. so, you know, it's, it's understanding that the world is not going to collapse. It's right. not going to fall. I mean, there are things that are happening, mm -hmm. but the reality is that, um, and I think that's, that's where, when you were speaking of spirituality and we started with, you know, those, those teachings and it's, it's, uh, it's like, you know, heaven and earth will pass, you mm -hmm. know, and, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just the, the knowledge that even regardless of what we do, regardless of how, how fast we want to run, mm -hmm. we're going to do the best that we can, yeah. but yeah. that, um, it, it's not up to us, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and that there are struggles that are even beyond us That's right. in the sense that I think about my ancestors fighting, you know, my ancestors holding up and, you know, the best thing they could do was take care of themselves so that I could be here. Right. That's so true. And, you know, when I think about it, um, part of my trauma response is that I couldn't help myself and so I'm going to help everybody that I possibly can and because of divine inspiration then I may have an answer or input into something that's going on but what I'm realizing now is I can put my two cents in but I don't have to stand there and watch it 
<laughs> I don't have to watch the seed come to fruition and be a big tree. You know, okay, so this is something that I can do. I do it and I, and I step back and, and turn away from it and then let other people you know, add to what's going on. One plants, one waters, God oh, gives yes. the increase. That's right. <laughs> so after all these years, I probably learned that a couple of months ago. <laughs> to your joy. <laughs> it's beautiful, like mm -hmm. the partnership and just, just the, the amount of, uh, you know, being able to, to speak words of truth and, and insight mm -hmm. into each other, you know, yeah, because true. there, there is like this, the, the knowledge of what our hearts want us to do and, and, and you know, the things that, that are, um, heavy, mm -hmm. heavy in our hearts, mm -hmm. you know, like, mm -hmm. um, but also just the self care that, that comes from, from being in community and from yeah. being in, 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 in relationships that, you know, are about mm -hmm. sustaining, sustainability. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is going to sound a little strange, um, you know, talking, thinking about DACA. So, you know, so have you ever met a DACA <laughs> recipient, you know? I mean, it's just, have you ever met a black person? Um, and so um, one family that we've been friends with, I'd say friends with for the last, well, she joined Tri when she was 14. She just turned 21. Um, and she's, uh, she's DACA, a DACA recipient. And to see the struggle and having the opportunity to talk to her about what does this, this look like? What does this feel like? You know, how about your sisters? And I mean, the weight that she carries every single day is something that I could never imagine. And to know her and to experience life with her is something that we need to do. You know, if you don't know about someone's history and what's happening with them so you'll never know if you don't ask so that's so true mm -hmm. we, we need to understand each other's journey so i am really grateful for the many people that are bridging they're they're serving as bridges yeah um mm -hmm. between community members and mm -hmm. between people and mm -hmm. um so i was thinking about the un underground um, church you know like movement that carl kenny um mm -hmm. has been talking about and one of his things is you know he, he put out a uh, um, a post recently that was about you know ensuring that that we we learn each other's history like do we understand the history of migration for immigrants right. and, and understand like the complexity of why people you know flee and mm -hmm. flee for their lives you know yeah. whether it's like their house was flooded you know mm -hmm. or there's you know uh, you know violence um, mm -hmm. you know there, there are reasons why, why people migrate mm -hmm. and understand those migration patterns and then he started talking about you know just the history of slavery and also Absolutely. running north you know and and yeah. Those, that was migration within the United States. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's this, the concept of, you know, we are going to be free. Yeah. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. We, we, um, we're going to fight mm -hmm. to be free. And, and that freedom may manifest itself in different ways, you know, mm -hmm. different, different mm -hmm. things. But it's uh, understanding the humanity of folks and knowing that, you know, uh, when, when you hear the anti-immigrant rhetoric, it's right. scapegoats, you know, scapegoating the immigrants and saying, yeah. you know, it's, you know, they're the ones that are doing this or they're bringing this or they're, but in reality, you know, these, these are people that, um, you know, have families that, mm -hmm. um, have considered and weighed the cost right. and decided that running and, you know, moving is, 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 is the only option. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then that's what historical trauma is, you know, that for some of us, um, that trauma is lodged in our DNA. 
and you know understanding that as well is extremely important for us as individuals um, and some people are afraid to to face that and they escape they attempt to escape their history rather than understand the differences and growing and learning from that which is where classism comes from mm -hmm. so you know I may have escaped whatever uh, poverty but you know I'm not going to reach back quote-unquote back and help lift somebody up because and I never understood what comes after that you know if I lift somebody up because I've come out of poverty I'm mean, not that I can't go back but come out of poverty then I don't want to do that because dot 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 I don't know what's at the end hmm. so that is that is really deep you know it's 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 the gatekeeping phenomenon that we see where people who have made it or or even the myth you know the selective pathways by which people get upward mobility mm -hmm. and it becomes a thing um, that I, I face that every day like there are people outside I, I recently sat in a meeting um, and shared my story about you know having to go through public housing yeah. as, as an adult with my two kids yeah. um, and what that was and they're like well that's but you see you you did it you you were there and you knew that you needed to get out and you were only there for a little bit of time and you and it was all and and I I appreciated that in a moment and that moment I said you know this is this is not a this is a selective thing like there are factors that help me that have not been available and there were even struggles where I, where I got caught in, in in ways that I would have stayed there longer mm -hmm. and I shared about you know working part-time and TAing at mm -hmm. um, the university and I remember that the management office was telling me that um, if I couldn't prove, you know, that I didn't work full time because I didn't work full time. Mm -hmm. I only worked a few hours and I had my check stubs and they're like, mm -hmm. well, if you're making this much an hour, full, uh, 40 hours is this much. And so they, they raised my rent to market rate and market rate when I wasn't making, you know, that much. And I was like, I'm, I'm trying to finish my courses so I can graduate yeah. and, um, you know, being a student and, 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 and working a few, t a few hours, but market rate was not something I could afford. And they were just like, well, you know, you, if you can't prove otherwise, that's what it is. Wow. And so realizing that when there are folks in public housing that have to grapple with the fact that if they get a small job, that their rent is going to go to market rate. Right. What's the incentive, yeah. right? What's the incentive yeah. uh, to risk it? Because mm -hmm. it took a, it took a while. I had to run around the campus and go to the Holy Administration Building and get letters, but that takes days. And so the reality was that, you know imagine like having to pay market rate until they, they fix that mm -hmm, it's it's, mm -hmm. it's it's definitely something that um affects families so I, I i sat with that and i said you know um there is survivor's guilt in a way because it's mm -hmm. like this is not the reality for a lot of families mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and it's also very um important for me as even as i step into places that it's not about oh look that it's so easy look she yeah, made it everybody yeah, made you know yeah. everybody can make it no it's right. it's the reality that there are challenges mm -hmm. um and that, you know, even as, as you make it, it's because somebody else lent you a hand, you That's know? That's true. That's very, very true. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think about our earlier days. You know, people see us now, and I don't know what they think. But um, in our earlier days, we had cars repossessed. We lived in a house that had rats and roaches and, you know. So, so we understand what, what that's like. But, you know, because of however we appear to be visibly, um, then it's almost like, well, you know, there was a silver spoon or something someplace or a spoon somewhere. Um, but the fact of the matter is, when I was at Duke, the uh, director of the, uh, 
the department, well, the researcher that I worked for, um, wanted to give me a raise. And there were not a lot of black people who were doing research. So he took me to the director's office and said, I want to give Wanda a raise, and it's this much. You want to pay her how much? I mean, literally, I'm standing there. You want to pay her how much? And he said, if I don't get this, I'm taking my research dollars out of Duke. So, you know, so that, that those social, <laughs> um, thanks. So those social kind of connections are what make a difference. So, you know, with interns and other people, I make connections like that and then they move on to, you know, really good jobs um, because that's important to me. I know that that was done for me. And that was a big deal. You didn't do things like that <laughs> back in the late 70s, early 80s. And so I'm still in touch with him now. He's 85 years old, oh. you know, so, yeah. Oh, how wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we just, you know, I sit with the gratitude of, you know, like the the people who have, um, you know, helped me along. And, and just, you know, then I guess the next question is how do we ensure that, um, that we provide those, uh, those resources for others? Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, this has been a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, walk and, you know, very, very deep and reflective in, in a lot of these topics. But I'm really grateful for, you know, the, this, the work that you do, mm -hmm. um, the work that is, that is also near and dear to my heart. And um, looking forward to what 2020 brings. What does it bring? Yeah. <laughs> um, 2020 for me brings more relaxation, more travel, more strategizing about how to bring younger people into <laughs> Together for Resilient Youth. We do have a college uh, coalition as well as a youth coalition under the Tri Umbrella, so continuing to mentor them so perhaps I can retire one day if Earl doesn't ever. <laughs> Here's hoping. And I really want to say how much I appreciate you. Um, and I don't want to call it your platform <laughs> because it's not, it's your life. And you just have this um, awesome uh, genuineness and integrity, literally, that really does just flow out of you. <laughs> Thank you, Wanda. Um, Likewise. And I just uh, really appreciate who you are. I feel like I've known you a long time and we just <laughs> met. <laughs> um, and your, you know, your artistic self too. Music has been yes, one of those oh things. It, it has kept me sane, I gotta tell you. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> and so I appreciate the times that I can relax while I look at Facebook and see you. <laughs> well, I gotta thank Kevin. Kevin has been, you know, has been there at these uh, gigs and, you know, just, just, um, you know, just it's 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 just beautiful that mm -hmm. you know we we're in the same space and sometimes yeah. we'll just record something and and help me help me see and, and give me some feedback. Like he told me, you know, there was a moment where I got really sick. I oh. had like uh, you know my my throat was pretty scratchy oh. and uh, some stuff was going on with my eyes, some allergy things that were mm -hmm. happening, and I felt so terrible. I felt like you know I, I my voice wasn't there and everything was so like just not working right and I'm mm -hmm. so so sad about that and I was like 
going through it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I came on the other side and one of the things that Kevin told me was like, you know, I don't know, like you sound, your voice actually sounds better <laughs> after you. <laughs> Kevin, what did you say? <laughs> Something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> what was there a raspiness? <laughs> you know, it's like I, I got a little more, you know, I don't know, oh. that's in my voice. And, and it's just how everything works, you know. For the good of those who love him, right? Like, yes. So it was it was just that that realization that we do go through, you know, moments and mm-hmm. and you know, but he 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 notices and he's like, and here's the video to prove it <laughs> <laughs> that you you're, you know you're singing this song here and it sounds better than you did when you did it you know um, before. But it, it was it's 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 a gift. It's a it's a blessing yeah. to be able to do what you love. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And music is that for me. <laughs> I sing all the time, but not because I can. <laughs> it's because I want to. I'd love to come to your church. That yeah. would be that would be really lovely. So here's the story about that. <laughs> so um, about five, almost six years ago now. Earl, you tell the story. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, we, we moved the church to Durham Ridge Assisted Living, where we minister to uh, the uh, residents and every now and then a family member, sometimes to a staff member. But the point is that we um, let the residents know that God loves them. Yes. And when we have some people who haven't had a visitor in three months, six months... Oh it's very easy for them to feel really, really down. <laughs> so the the thought of God's love for them is very important. And it's one thing that will help them make it to the next day because they they may not get any, any kind of love and support from any place in the natural, but they have that spiritual love and support that can make all the difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. And visitors are allowed. Oh, that's so. wonderful, yeah. <laughs> so we're there on Sundays, uh, 10.30, and we're usually done by 11. <laughs> um, we sing, minister the word, hug everybody. Yeah. And uh, But it's so beautiful. So when we first got that revelation, it was like, oh, no, <laughs> what are people going to think? <laughs> you know, your church, do you really have a church? But that is like, church. It is. I, I played at the senior center off of Rigsby Avenue, so the, yeah. uh, the adult day health group, and mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of like where I go back to um, looking over the years. And, and, and Kevin was looking at um, how long I've been doing music and in healthcare. You yes. know, and, and So this group had Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, yes. <laughs> and so the adult day health, um, you know, 50, 50 something adults in that mm-hmm. room, and it was church by all means. Like I would right. bring my guitar. We we'd sing some spirituals, and they would teach me some spirituals. Like yes. they, they they taught me one of the spirituals that has been you know um, instrumental in in, in, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you've got to move. You know you, you sure got to move. You know when God gets ready, you've got to move. You may be high, you may be low. You may be rich or you may be poor. But you know when God gets ready, you got, you got to, move. to move. That's right. <laughs> that's that's uh 
you know, a very special place to, to be in where yes. people who can't move. Because then, you know, we think about being able to go to church. Like, that is a privilege. To get in your car. Right. To be able to walk to right. your church. Yeah. To, be, you know, be able to dress up Sunday morning and go. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean for folks who can't move? Exactly. Who, you know, who are in, in, in these places. And yeah. it's like, who's going to come to them? Right. So that is a ministry. It is. It's beautiful. I wouldn't change it for anything. <laughs> and yes. today I encouraged residents to just look out the window. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't go out. Mm-hmm. Quite often, just look out the window, see the uh, sun, and that in itself is a reason to rejoice. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Counter blessings named them one by one. That was another favorite one with, yeah. the, with the seniors. Yeah. See what God has done. Yes. Counter many blessings named them mm -hmm. one by one, and it will surprise you. Mm-hmm. What the Lord has done. Part of today's message also. <laughs> this has been uh, wonderful. You know, I just, the other scripture that came to mind, as I mentioned before, like heaven and earth may pass, but my word will never pass. Yeah. And it is, I guess, in the words that we share that inspire and catalyze like, a lot of the changes, you know, that we see. Mm -hmm. um, it's been, you know, whether that word is prophetic, whether that word is a word of encouragement. Um, you know, we, sharing our stories and sharing our journeys is, uh, it, it's been one of those things that God has impressed on me that I don't mm -hmm. need to be ashamed of, right. you know, where, where he's brought me from. And it's yeah. like, you know, just knowing what those origins have been and being able to share it, it inspires others to pursue their, their calling right mm -hmm. so this has been you know wonderful to walk <laughs> with you and you know um really appreciate you pastor Earl and pastor wanda boone <laughs> um thank you so much for spending your your sunday with us thank and you it's wonderful been wonderful it's been a real privilege <laughs> oh, thank you thank you very much and hug Thank you very much, and Kevin, thank you for taking this. And you get a hug too. Yeah. <laughs>